You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages Warren Faber presented on interpreting the gospel from Gull Lake Bible Conference 1975. Dr. Warren Faber was dean, executive vice president, and professor emeritus at Cornerstone University and a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute. Now, here is Warren Faber on Today in the Word radio. Welcome to a Dynamic Life and Service seminar. This is a seminar in interpreting the Bible. It's called Discovering Meaning and Significance in Your Bible Reading. This course, Discovering Meaning and Significance in Your Bible, is designed, first of all, to help you understand the importance and the process of interpreting the Scripture. Do you remember in the Bible a man was riding in a chariot? He was trying to understand the Scriptures, and Philip came to him and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And they said, how can I, unless somebody show me? We want to show you a little bit about that in this series that we have in discovering meaning and significance in your Bible reading. I also want to help you formulate a doctrine of Scripture and a concept of language that will help you to rightly divide the word of truth. We'll give you some guidelines for interpretation. We'll help you develop some skills. And then the last thing we want to do is to offer a method where you can test the validity of your interpretation. I'm sure you've had this problem. Someone has one interpretation and you have another. And you say, how do you know which one is right? And usually we just take the one that we like best. But there ought to be a way in which we can test those. We're going to be offering quite a number of lectures and The first lecture that I want to share with you is entitled, Problems in Interpreting the Bible. Now, when we talk about helping people interpret the Bible, we're engaged in a holy crusade. From the time I was a child, I used to sing the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Before I could read, I could give to you the books of the Bible. It's because they taught them in Sunday school in a song, Genesis, Exodus. I won't try to sing it, but I never could say them. I always had to sing them in order to remember them. But I went through all of my life, through the Sunday school and in church, And it wasn't until I was in seminary and training for the ministry that anybody took time to tell me how one really interprets the Bible. I don't know if anyone has ever taken time to tell you about this, but we want to take some time to give you some help. And this whole course is based upon the idea that any Christian who can read can understand and profit from reading the Bible. Now, you have to be able to read. You have to be literate, or I can't help you in this course. The second thing that is important is that there is no book in all of the world as important as the Bible. If there's any book that we ought to be able to understand and read, it should be the Bible. You know the Bible is made up of 66 books. You may not know that it contains 1,189 chapters. 
You may not know that 20 of the books in this Bible are no longer or larger than the material that would appear on the front page of your newspaper. And you will pick up a newspaper every day and read it, and there are some of you who have never read a book of the Bible through. Well, some of them are short. Start reading the short ones. I also feel that all fact and opinion ought to be tested by the Bible. And if you are involved in teaching Sunday school or sharing with others, you're responsible for a correct interpretation of the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman, you know, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, when we talk about interpretation, we realize that all of us face some problems in interpreting the scripture. But I am convinced, having done this now a few times, that if you'll spend a few hours with me in this seminar, that I can increase your ability to interpret the Bible by at least 50%. Now, let's put that to the test. We'll start out by listing, first of all, some common problems. There are problems that you have. There are problems that I have in interpreting the Bible. Sometimes people say, I don't understand what I'm reading. Is that a problem with you? Now, you ought to rate these problems. And on the right, you'll find a place to do some rating if you have a workbook. I don't understand what I'm reading. Is that no problem? Somewhat of a problem? Is it a serious problem? Just rate yourself. A second problem is that much of the Bible seems uninteresting. Now, I want you to honestly rate this because no one else has to see it, but if you'll make a notation, you'll know what problems we have to get at. Is that no problem? Is that somewhat of a problem? Or is that a serious problem with you? Much of the Bible seems uninteresting. There's another problem as soon as one begins to be interested in the Bible, and that is he looks at the Bible, reads certain things, and says, I don't know what I should apply to my own life. No problem? Somewhat of a problem? Serious problem. There's another problem we face. Someone says, everyone seems to have his own opinion about the Bible. You have yours, I have mine. Is that a problem with you? No problem? Somewhat of a problem? Serious problem? Well, grade yourself on that. And then the question comes for serious Bible students, and a young man came up to me and asked seriously about the interpretation of a verse in Hebrews chapter 6, and he was concerned about it. Someone had given to him a different interpretation than he felt was right, and we were talking about it. But the question, how can I know whether my interpretation is right? Now, after you've rated yourself on these, it might be helpful for you to know that you're not the first 
person in the world that has had problem in understanding. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about interpretation and about misunderstanding. The second thing that we're talking about then is some biblical notes on interpretation and misunderstanding. Now there are many words in the Bible that are translated interpret or to explain or to understand or to know. The word interpretation in your Bible is most often linked to the following. First of all, to the explanation of dreams. And if you'll write down these references, you can look them up later. Genesis chapter 40, verse 22. Genesis 41, verse 8, verse 12, verse 13, verse 15, verse 16. The Hebrew word that interpret translates is pathar, P-A-T-H-A-R. And I'm going to turn to Genesis 41, verses 15 and 16, because they're so very interesting. The scene is in Egypt, and the Pharaoh's had a dream, and nobody can tell him what it means. And so he finally calls Joseph, and he says to him, I've heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Now he's gone to all of this trouble to ask men everywhere, can you interpret my dream? Finally find somebody who can interpret dreams and when he calls him, Joseph answers Pharaoh saying, it's not in me. I wonder what Pharaoh thought. Well, he didn't stop there. But he said, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. All right, we're looking at the word interpretation. It's used of the interpretation of dreams. There's another word that is important and it has to do with the understanding of Proverbs. The word that is translated there is melitsa, M-E-L-I-T, S-A-H. And uh, we ought to write down a reference. Proverbs 1, 6. It talks about interpreting or understanding a proverb. To understand a proverb and the interpretation of it. Proverbs 1, 6. And Melitza is kind of to break something open, to discover what it means to find out that it's a very sweet sort of thing. And so the Bible talks about interpreting prophecy or proverbs. It also talks about interpreting prophecy. Second Peter, write that reference down, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. The word that's used there is epilusis. Or if you don't want to write down the Greek word, which is transliterated E-P-I-L-U-S, 
I-S, then write down unloosing. No prophecy is of any private unloosing. There's a fourth area that is rather interesting, and it involves the crossing of language barriers. When you speak in another language, some people don't understand you. And so you'll discover a number of instances in the New Testament where we're crossing a language barrier. Matthew 1.23, write it down. It talks about his name shall be Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Mark 5.41, where Jesus says to the little girl, Talitha kumi, which being interpreted is damsel, arise. And then in Mark 15, verse 22, we're told that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha, which being interpreted is the place of a skull. And in Hebrews 7, verse 22, we're told of a person by the name of Melchizedek, which being interpreted is king of righteousness. So interpretation then is used to translate uh, and to signify the interpretation, uh, the explanation of dreams, the understanding of a proverb, the discovering of meaning of prophecy, and the crossing of language barriers. <clears throat> now there's a lot of information in the New Testament about misunderstanding. And it's an interesting thing when one notes that men did not always understand what Jesus was talking about. In the New Testament, as you read, you realize that unbelieving Jewish people, for Jesus himself was born of Jewry, did not believe his words, did not accept his works. We're told in John, in the first chapter and the 11th verse, that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. In chapter 8 and verse 43, Jesus tells them, you cannot hear because you're of your father the devil. And in John chapter 10, verse 6, Jesus gives them a little story, a parabolic saying, and it just said they didn't understand it. So there were Jewish people that didn't understand, unbelieving people. There also were a number of incidents when the disciples did not understand what Jesus was talking about. He spoke to them, and uh, in Matthew 16, verse 11, we find a little interesting note. He says, how is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? He thought they should understand that. They thought he was talking about not eating bread that was uh, baked with leaven. He was warning them against the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
And uh, in Luke chapter 18, verse 34, there's an interesting note on the disciples and their problem in inter interpreting and understanding what Jesus was talking about. Luke 18, verse 34. You read, and they understood none of these things. Now that's not a very good average. And they had a good teacher. But it says of the disciples that they didn't understand anything. We also have an interesting note in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 15 and 16. 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. There we read, in which there are some things hard to be understood, which the unlearned and unstable are twisting. They turn as a rack, as they do the rest of the writings to their own destruction. Now, the Bible speaks specifically of three groups of people who misunderstood Jesus and the scriptures. And I've listed a few here, and I want you to just sort of think this through now. I've listed Greeks, Roman soldiers, uneducated people, unstable church members, disciples, unbelieving Jews, and you ought now to think it through and uh, put a circle around them. Now, as you circle these, it's an interesting thing. You realize that one group is a group of people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. They're unbelievers. There's a second group. They are believers, but they are not very good followers of Jesus Christ. They're very unstable. Then there's a third group. They are loyal followers of Jesus. They're his disciples, and they still do not understand. Now, you're in one of those three groups. There aren't many other groups or classifications. And uh, what we want to do is to take a look now at the basic causes of problem in interpretation and see if we can get right at the cause. Now, Roman numeral three in your workbook talks about ba basic causes of the problem of being unable to interpret the scripture. Most of the problems in interpreting scripture are caused by barriers which time and history have erected and by limitations under which we operate. Now let's take a look at some of the barriers. The first barrier, of course, is sin. Sin has so affected the human race that it's impossible for an unconverted man to understand the Word of God. Write down a scripture reference. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Sin also affects 
the heart and mind of converted people. When we do not want to live as God wants us to live, we hold down the truth in unrighteousness. We want to avoid, ignore, disobey, even pervert the truth of God's word. Whenever you find a Christian talking to you and trying to justify sin by the scripture, then know that there's something wrong in his life and the something that's wrong is that he is disobedient to God. Remember, the Apostle Paul posed that problem. Some people, they said, well, if God is a God of grace, then we'll continue in sin. So grace can abound. The Apostle Paul says, may again at all, may it not be, God forbid, that anybody would think that he could live in sin so he could prove that God was a, a gracious God. Well, someone said, sin will keep you from this book. Well, there's a nice parallel to that. This book, the Bible, will keep you from sin. There's a second barrier that comes, and that is the change in culture. When one reads the Bible, he enters into a strange world. It's a world where people lived in different kinds of houses, mostly tents, and they had different patterns of life, different customs, different marriage customs. All of the things are so different. And sometimes when we cross cultures, we do not understand. We do not understand why there was so much emphasis on not moving the ancient landmarks. You would lay out your field just by putting a pile of stones on the corner, and at night somebody would come and he'd move it in a hundred yards, and you'd lose your property. That was a sin to remove the ancient landmarks. And now we just call out the surveyor, you know, and say, I have a sneaking suspicion that my neighbor built a fence on my property. And we survey it and we find out not only is his fence on our property, but his garage is on our property. And he's in trouble. Well, things are different. And so cultures change, and because they change, it's hard for us to understand this. There's a third barrier, and that is the barrier of language. You know, some of us are a little surprised that uh, God spoke Hebrew and Greek because that was the language of the people. And he communicated to them in the Hebrew language and the Greek. And the Old Testament is primarily Hebrew and the New Testament Greek. And we don't read Hebrew and we don't read Greek. And that's a little bit of a problem, a language barrier problem. There also are some limitations and additions to barriers. And as uh, you read the New Testament, you begin to realize that the misunderstanding on the part of the disciples involves problems and limitations that all of us face. One of the things that happened was Jesus' use of figurative speech. And uh, Matthew 13, verse 36, makes an interesting reference. Jesus is speaking to them there in parables. And parables 
were a part of life in that day, but people didn't always understand them. And uh, in verse 36, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus sent away the multitudes and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And uh, so he does. I wish they had asked him some questions about the other parables. I have some problems with the interpretation of those. They, they say, we understand all the rest of them, but this one you know, bothers us a little bit. And so some of us have a little difficulty with figurative speech. We're going to talk about trying to understand figurative speech in parables. Then, of course, there are words and actions that are beyond their experience. And uh, there's a reference to that in John 12 and verse 16. John 12, verse 16. These things understood not his disciples at the first. They just didn't understand his triumphal entry. They didn't understand what was happening in this last week of Jesus' life, and they didn't understand it till after Jesus was glorified because this was beyond their experience. There were events that they did not understand. In Mark 9, 11, and 13, they want to know why the prophets say that Elijah must come first. And Jesus said, Elijah's already come. I said, huh? We don't understand that. And some people still don't understand that, even though he told them that he came in the person of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was doing Elijah's work, representing him, doing the same kind of thing that he had done in an earlier age. Then, of course, there were words and activities on the part of Jesus that violated their expectation. And just jot down a reference here, Luke chapter 19 and verse 11. In fact, right on through to 27. Jesus said a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive a kingdom and return. And they had a concept of the kingdom that was far different than that. They had joined Jesus because they wanted to be there with him when he established his kingdom. And they did not understand that he had to leave them by way of the cross and by way of the empty tomb and by way of ascension. They didn't understand words and activities on the part of Jesus that violated their expectation. Now, what are the basic causes of misunderstanding? What are the basic problems that you have as you interpret the Bible? Take a look at this rather honestly, and I'd like to have you fill in those, at least, that are problems for you. Do you have a problem understanding the Bible and applying it to your life because of sin? Now, you ought to be honest here if you want some help in understanding and interpreting the Bible. Is it because you lack an understanding of biblical times? Is it because much of the Bible is contrary to your expectation or your way of life? Is it because you lack confidence? Is it because you have a language problem? Or is it because God and the Bible just seem to be in another world, so far away, so unreal, 
so different from anything that you know in this life. Well, those are some of the causes, and I don't want to leave you with just the causes. We want to work toward a solution. And so uh, let's take a look at Roman numeral four, toward a solution. Now, one of the things that you want to understand is that when you take the Bible in your hand, you have a unique advantage over any other book in the world. Occasionally, books appear on the market, and I'm very excited about them because I say, I know the author. We have a professor of Old Testament, Dr. Leon Wood, and uh, he has been afflicted with lateral sclerosis. He's been used in translating the Old Testament. He's been used in publishing books in Old Testament history. One of his books on Elijah is a classic. His book on Daniel, just an unusual book. And uh, he's just completed a book on Judges. But when one of his books come out, I've traveled with him. I've been, uh, I've walked, you know, the dusty roads of Judea with him. We've been around through that land together, and I kind of know how he writes. I understand him, and I understand what he writes. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that when we pick up this book, if we're Christians, we know the primary author of Scripture? We know who he is, what he's like, and that's a great advantage. There's a second advantage that we have that is unique with the Bible, and that is we can have the mind and understanding of his Son, Jesus Christ. Supposing you were in a supermarket and somebody tapped you on the shoulder and said to you, I am God. What would you do? Well, you'd turn around very, very carefully, you know, to see who it was there. And then you may run or scream or just shake your head and say, Oh, no. I am God. Supposing somebody should come into the supermarket and tap you on the shoulder and say, I have the mind of Christ. You'd probably be a, a little skeptical about that. But there's a verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, and it's an interesting verse. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. God wants you and me, we who are his children, to have the insight and understanding of the second person of the Trinity. He wants us to have the mind of Christ. He wants us to see things from the perspective of eternity. Think of that. And then there's something else. God has given to us his Holy Spirit to be our teacher. John chapter 16 and verse 13, 
Why well, he promises that the Spirit is going to come and he's going to teach us. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So remember, when you pick up the Bible, you have a unique advantage over any other book in all of the world. You know God, the primary author. You as a Christian can have the mind of Christ, and you can have the Holy Spirit indwelling, being your teacher. Now, there are some barriers, and you and I are going to have to learn how to bridge those barriers. It's a wonderful thing to realize that if we confess sin, he will remove it. One of the problems with Christians is that they really don't know what confession of sin is. Sometimes confession of sin is like listing planes that are taking off, you know, this one for Cleveland, and it, it's the same time, same place, every day. Now, listing sins is not confessing sins. The word for confess in John is homologia. And it means to say the same thing about it as God does. And when you and I begin to see our sins as he sees them, and we say, Lord, this is a terrible thing. I hate it. I don't know why I do it. And then he's going to do something about it. So confession of sin is coming to understand how God feels about that sin, and he'll remove it. We also can do a little bit in learning about the customs and culture of the people of Bible times. We just should do that. And it isn't too hard because there are two basic cultures that we have to learn about. One, the culture of the Hebrew people, and then we have to take a look at the Greco-Roman culture of the first century, and it's just exciting when you get to know a little bit more about Bible lands and Bible times. Then there's a third barrier to cross. That's the language barrier. And I'm so glad that we have so many people working now to help people cross that barrier. People who know Greek and Hebrew can help us. And the best way in all the world to cross the language barrier is to get a trustworthy translation of the Bible. And in addition to your King James Version, I'd recommend either the New International Version or the New American Standard Version. These are excellent, and there are others, and I'll be glad to share with you about that. Now, we also have some limitations. You and I just have limitations when it comes to understanding this Bible. But uh, God gives us the opportunity to rise above these kinds of limitations. First of all, he gives us an all-sufficient revelation of himself and his redemption. We have all we need to know in this book. Then he gives us his Holy Spirit, and then he gives to us the human gift and facility of communication. People used to say, what's the difference between men and animals? And in the 16th century, you know what they said? The difference between men an animal is that man is a speaking animal. Well, I'm not sure I like the last part of that, but I at least know that men speak, and that certainly does distinguish us. 
Communication really is uniquely a human gift. Animals have a signal system. Beaver can flap his tail on the water and all the other beavers dive, but they don't know whether it's an airplane or a hawk or what it is that's coming by. The signal system just isn't that, that intricate. And uh, animals have a little difficulty with abstract thinking. If you want to try this sometime, you just spread a map out on the floor, and I don't care how smart your dog is, you explain to him that you're going to go to Chicago and trace the route out for him. And uh, note the uh, wandering look of appreciation that comes because you've explained to him what you're doing. Now, if he's a puppy and you're just beginning to train him, be a little careful spreading that paper. Men can communicate. Animals don't. And God has given us this wonder, wonderful gift of communication. Now, if you're serious about solving this problem of understanding the Bible better, I'd like for you to respond. First of all, you have to determine that you want to understand the Bible. Nobody ever understands it who isn't serious about it. And you need to say, I want to solve the problem. I want to be an interpreter. Second thing that you have to realize is that you can't do it alone. You're going to always have to start in, pray and ask, in prayer and ask God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit to help you to understand his word. And there's a third thing. I think as you start reading the word, you ought also to be involved in confession of sin. You ought to confess all known sin. Now, I understand, I understand that everybody that's listening is serious about wanting to understand and interpret the Bible. So there are some tools you can use. I tend to do everything with a hammer, a saw, a screwdriver, and a pair of pliers. Some things don't turn out very well. Well, those are all the tools that you have to use. But there are some tools that are important in interpreting the Bible, and I want to mention a few of them. Everyone ought to have a Bible dictionary. When you're reading any other book and you come to a word that you don't understand, you look it up in a dictionary. Did you know there was a Bible dictionary? You ought to have one. They're printing them now in paperback. Baker's has one in paperback. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to own a Bible dictionary. Zondervan's has one in paperback. You can pick up Smith's Bible dictionary. That's an older one. These other two are newer, but you can pick it up in paperback. Be sure you get yourself a paperback dictionary. And if you want to put a lot of money into it, why, you can go hardcover and buy some more important and uh, expensive ones. And you ought to have a concordance. Have you ever had a problem finding a verse in the Bible? Well, a complete concordance will help you because it'll just list references. Now, these concordances, rather interestingly, fit the Bible that you're carrying. So be sure that if you're looking it up, you got the right Bible for the right concordance. 
If you're using the King James, then the Young's, Strong's, and Cruden's concordances will be of help. And Cruden's is in paperback. In fact, I think if you shop around, you might even find an edition for a dollar. One problem with a dollar edition is so small that you also will have to buy a $5 magnifying glass to read it. Uh, but get yourself a good concordance. Then you ought to have a Bible handbook or a good one-volume commentary. Haley's Handbook is an old standby. It's got so much information in it, but everybody ought to have a handbook or a good one-volume commentary of the Bible. Davidson Stibbs is a good one. There are others, and uh, your Christian bookstore can give you some guidance in uh, picking out a good tool. Now, having talked about tools, I want to talk just for a few moments about methodology. We're going to be working with this method through the rest of our seminars, and you're going to start doing interpretation before very long. Here's the method. I'll just outline it for you, and uh, you can put all of this in boxes. We start out with a text. And the important thing is to find out what the text means. Now, the only way that you can tell me what it means, that you understand it, for that's the next thing. Incidentally, we're going to talk about this. You know who determines the meaning of a text? Not you. It's only the author that determines the meaning of a text. The question is always, what did the author mean when he wrote it? That's always very important. So it's the author that determines the, the meaning of the text. The secondary author that we find uh, penning his name to it, whether it's Paul or someone else, but the primary author, God. What did God mean? when he put this down in the Bible for us. That's what we want to know. There's only one meaning to any text of the Bible. It's what God intends. Then there are always some implications in any text, and we will talk about this very carefully. The implications uh, are things that are in this text that aren't explicitly said but might have meaning for my life or my knowledge of God and understanding of him and there are many, many implications in the text. And then you have to say, after you've gone through this process, what does the author mean? Do I understand it? What are the implications? Then you have to say, what is the significance for me? And then after we know what it means, what the author means and what it means to us, then we're faced with the problem of telling it to somebody else of communication. Now that's the whole process and your assignment before the next lecture is to take Romans chapter 14 verses 17 and 18 and write down very quickly for me what the author means, what the significance of these verses are for your life. And after you've done that, We'll go ahead and talk about it next time.
Shall we pray? Father, we're so thankful for this opportunity that's ours to think together about the word and how to interpret it and give to each one of us a desire to make this a part of our life, to be men and women who cherish the word, who read the word, who read it with profit. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of five messages Warren Faber presented on interpreting the gospel from Gull Lake Bible Conference 1975. Dr. Warren Faber was dean, executive vice president, and professor emeritus at Cornerstone University and a graduate of the Moody Bible Institute. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.